Open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians chapter 4. As you're turning there, I will add my welcome and my um, thanks for you all being here. Appreciate our visitors coming our way and being a part of the congregation this morning. We seek to serve God simply by what we read in Scripture. And I hope that you see a a congregation, a body, that is actively doing that and doing our best to serve our God. We appreciate you being here on this Lord's Day. An important aspect of our lives as Christians is unity. When Jesus prays to the Father in John chapter 17, he pleads with the Father, repeatedly repeatedly asking him for unity. In verse 11 of chapter 17 of John, it says, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those who you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Verse 21, he says, That that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And in verse 22, he says, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. Jesus pled for unity. He asked God the Father to grant us unity. In Ephesians 2, Paul speaks of the links that Jesus went to, to ensure this unity. In verse 14, beginning in Ephesians 2, he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting death to the enmity. So it's not surprising that when we come to chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul begins the application section of this letter by calling for unity. If you're there in Ephesians 4, Brad read this for us a minute ago. Let's refresh our memories. Ephesians 4, beginning verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which, which, which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So for this reason, for this idea of unity, I'd like for us to consider the seven ones that follow in the next verses here in Ephesians 4. So let's start with the first one, which is one body. He says there in verse 4, there is one body. So what's he mean when he talks about one body? Well, of course, he means the church. Look back in Ephesians chapter 1. Turn the page there, beginning in verse 22. It says, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells all in all. If you go the other way in Ephesians chapter 5, And look at verse 23. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, 
he himself being the savior of the body. Also, turn a couple more pages over to Colossians chapter 1. In verse 18, it says, He is also the head of the body, the church, and is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. And also in verse 24 of Colossians 1, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We understand full well what the body is. The body is the church. It refers to all those in the world who are believers. All those who make up the Lord's body. And as we just read from those verses, we understand that Christ is the head of that body. This is the church in the universal sense. All those saved believers that make up the body. There are also many local churches. We understand that. We're sitting in a local church at the moment. We are part of this body, this local congregation. And by the way, there's only one church spoken of in Scripture, and that's the Lord's church. That is the only church that the Lord recognizes. It's the only church that God recognizes. So it is sufficient for us to say church. We can call it the Church of Christ. We can call it the Church of God. We can call it the Church of the Living God. We can call it the pillar and the ground of the church, of the truth. We can call it the kingdom. All of these things refer to the same body which we're talking about. That is the church. That is the church purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. And the church belongs to him. And he is head over that church. Next we see in our reading here, after one body, one spirit. This is referring to the Holy Spirit. It's been described in various ways earlier on in this epistle. If you look back in chapter 1 and verse 13, the Holy, he's called the Holy Spirit of promise. Chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. In the next verse, he talks about the Holy Spirit being a guarantee or a pledge of our inheritance who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God, God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Holy Spirit is also uh, the one who brought both the Jews and the Gentiles together so that they might have access to the Father. Look there in chapter 2 and verse 18. We read there a minute ago about Jesus bringing together the one into one body. Down in verse 18 it says, For through him we have both our access in one spirit, to the Father. Holy Spirit also talked about we are his dwelling place. In verses 21 and 22 of chapter 2, it says, In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing up into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit has also revealed the mystery of Christ to the apostles and the prophets. In chapter 3, beginning verse 4, it says, And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to, the holy, to, uh, to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit also strengthens our inner spirit. 
over in chapter 3, verse 16. It says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in the inner man. There's lots of lessons to be taught about the Holy Spirit. A whole series of lessons that we can talk about the Holy Spirit. We're right here. We understand this is part of the unity that Paul is addressing. And the Holy Spirit, along with the Son and the Father, as we'll discuss a little bit later, make up the three parts of the Godhead. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. The next one is the one hope of your calling. This is the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the message of the gospel. And in that hope, it includes the hope of his resurrection. In Acts chapter 23 and verse 6, But when Paul perceived that one part of the Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. The hope and the resurrection of the dead. The hope of our calling also includes the hope of salvation. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, it says, but, us, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. The hope of our calling is also the hope of eternal life. Titus 1, verse 2, In the hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Also in chapter 3 of Titus, in verse 7, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's quite a bit of hope. Quite a bit of hope in our calling. A hope of his resurrection, the hope of salvation, the hope of eternal life. What a wonderful hope that is. The next one is one Lord. This refers, of course, to Jesus Christ. This time is referring to the reference in reference to our relationship with him and his relationship to God. God has made him to be our Lord. And Acts chapter 2 and verse 36 says, Therefore let, us, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. God made him Lord. 1 Corinthians 8, beginning of verse 5, says, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom all things, and we are for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. God has made him to be our Lord, seated him at his right hand. For him to be our Lord. The next, Lord, next one that's mentioned is one faith. One faith speaks to all that encompasses our service to God. All that we hold to be true. Jude 3 says to contend earnestly for the faith. And that faith comes by hearing. It comes by hearing the things that are taught. In Scripture, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. Romans 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Our faith depends on the things that we hear. We are to contend earnestly for that faith. It includes sound doctrine. 
Our faith includes sound doctrine. 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, Hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. So the faith that we hold on to, we hold on to that pattern of sound words, the things that we have heard. And that is to continue. How is the faith to continue? It is to continue by passing these things that we have known, we have learned, we have understood, passing them on to faithful men. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, And the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The faith that we have, the faith that we hear from the scriptures, the faith that we hold dear and contend earnestly for, we're not to bottle it up. We are to share it with those who are coming along. And in turn, they will share it with those coming along behind them. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's our faith. The next one in our reading is one baptism. This is the baptism that Jesus commanded. In Matthew 28, Verses 19 and 20. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Amen. This is the baptism in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the baptism that Jesus has commanded. <clears throat> this is the baptism that was taught by the apostles. In that first sermon there that Peter gives on the day of Pentecost, when the men there are convicted, we read there a minute ago, verse 36, this man whom you crucified. And when they heard this, Scripture says they were cut to the quick. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In that first teaching that Peter delivers there on the day of Pentecost, when they ask what do they need to do to be forgiven of their sins, Peter says, repent and be baptized. Couldn't be any more clear than that. Over in chapter 10 and verse 48, And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and then they asked him to stay for a few days. When the Gentiles first hear the news of the, of the gospel, Cornelius and his household, Peter commanded them to be baptized. This baptism is the way that we become a part of the body. It's the way we become a part of the church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, those who were gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And on down in verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. No other way to come in contact. No other way to be admitted into the body of the Lord except through baptism. To recap, this is the baptism where a penitent believer is immersed in water for the remission of his sins. He comes up out of that water a new creature. And receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. One baptism. Lastly in our reading there. 
The last one is one God and Father. This is God the Father. We're together with the Son and the Holy Spirit make up the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is God the Father. And he is the Father of all. In Acts chapter 17, beginning verse 24, it says, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple made with hands, nor is he worshipped with man's hands as if he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. That's the Father of all. He is over all and through all and in all. Don't you love it when you hear scripture say something like that? Gives us all those facets. It's enough to say that God is all. The scripture goes further. Constantly goes further. Tells us more. And treats us to read and to understand the word even more. And even on a deeper level. So he says, when who is over all and through all and in all. This speaks of the Father's omnipotence. And I believe this has some allusions to that Godhead that we were just talking about. Over all, God the Father. From Isaiah 40, verse 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. That sounds above all to me. And his inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Sits above the circle of the earth. Who is through all. Hebrews 1, verse 2, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. Sounds like an allusion to Jesus Christ to me. Through whom he also made the world. Through. And in all. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? There we have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, who is over all and through all and in all. What do these seven ones mean to us? Why do we talk about these things? Why is Paul entreating these Ephesians to remember unity, to be connected, to serve in unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? These seven ones constitute that unity in the Spirit. The body, the Spirit, the hope of your calling, Lord, faith, baptism, God and Father. These are what make up the unity of the Spirit. And as Christians, we must make sure that we are keeping these in a bond of peace. Each one is as important as the other. And together they unite us in a purpose and in practice. We cannot have the unity that Jesus pleaded for without understanding these. We can't have that unity that our Lord pleaded for without putting these into practice. In our own lives, in the lives of our brethren. So the question that we arrive at is, are you living by these ones? 
That is correct grammar. These ones that we're talking about here, these seven ones here in Ephesians 4, do you understand that you put into practice the one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father? Do you recognize the one Lord, Jesus Christ? Scripture says there is one, one Lord, Jesus Christ. And do you realize there's only one way to be saved? Through baptism. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. And you believe that baptism is to be done in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. From the Great Commission, go therefore in all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have taught you. If you haven't been baptized, then you're lost in the world. There's no other way to come to the Father except through the Son. And he has told us that we come to him through baptism. If you need to make that commitment in your life, things are ready to be taken care of. We have the things ready to take care of that. But as a child of God, you're not holding on to these ones. You're letting these slip. You're not holding on to the one faith that binds us all together. You're not holding on and being a part of that body, the one body, the church. If you have failed in that area, you need the prayers of the congregation. If you don't recognize the one Lord, Jesus Christ, if you have failed him, if he is not your Lord, if you're not doing what he says, then you have failed him. And if you don't recognize or you have failed to understand the importance of God the Father and have slipped in your devotion to him and need the prayers of the congregation, we can take care of that. We can help you with that. And you can let that be known by coming forward as together we stand and sing to encourage you.